This is gonna be the best day ever. This is gonna be the best day ever. Wake up. The bacon is crispy, the coffee is pouring My meditation is peeling an orange The bank says I'm already scoring I got a parking spot right outside Step into my brand new ride All we ever get is green lights and blue skies This is gonna be the best day ever Best day ever Grace Church, Medina East How you guys doing today? My name is Dan, and uh, I lead student ministries out here uh, at Medina East. The student ministries is super duper cool. It's uh, it's comprised of everybody from sixth through twelfth grade, and we hang out in a variety of different environments throughout the week, uh, just just trying to understand, know, and follow uh, Christ. And I just got to be real honest with you right out of the gate, lay out all my cards on the table. Man, God has been doing something really profound and powerful uh, in student ministries recently. He's been opening up hearts, uh, changing lives, drawing the students to himself in a way that I've never seen before. And so uh, it's an incredible privilege uh, to be here in this moment. But uh, man, I also just, I, I can't, I just feel like I'm overflowing with uh, an excitement about what's happening in student ministry. So if you have any questions or you're interested in that at all, if you have any, any students or know anybody that's in that range, please come talk to me uh, after the service. I would just love, honestly, genuinely love to share uh, what God has been doing and to get uh, your students connected with that. It's just the most legit thing ever. And like uh, Colin and, and uh, Pastor Seth said, if you're newer uh, or if it's your first time here, we just genuinely want to extend a special welcome to you. We're so grateful that you would take time out of your schedule to come hang out, check us out, see what we're about. So we hope that you feel welcomed because you are. We love you genuinely, and we're glad that you're here. And for those of you that are uh, checking us out online as well, we just want you to, to know that we love you and we're sending love vibes at you. So dig it. We love you as well. And we're glad that you can get uh, connected with us here. We're thinking about you. We love you. And we've been praying for you as well. So rock and roll. All right. So this weekend, uh, what we're doing is closing down a, a series that we've been calling Happy and really, it's been a profound uh, series. We've been in it for a couple weeks. Uh, Pastor Tony has been kind of walking us through uh, this series. And if you've missed any part of it, I would just genuinely encourage you to check out uh, the, the previous weeks. You could do that online, on our podcast, on our website. It has been blowing people's minds. I'm just going to tell you the truth. And I have been challenged and excited and motivated by the things that we've learned in the past couple weeks. So I'm just telling you, it's awesome. And it's really rocking and rolling because what we're talking about is some stuff that Jesus said. And it turns out that Jesus had some pretty profound and good things to say. In fact, Jesus is our main focus at this church. So if you're trying to figure out where we stand or, or what we're about at this church, Jesus is pretty much where we're at. I gotta, there we go. So Jesus is the main thing. T turn to your neighbor and say, apparently this is one of them Jesus churches. <laughs> turn to your neighbor and say, shoot dang, this is one of them church, Jesus churches, my dude. I like saying my dude. You guys get into that at all? I could talk for five minutes about how I like saying my dude, but I guess I should continue. I don't know. I'll just keep going. So anyway, Jesus is my dude. <laughs> so, like, so this is what we believe about Jesus. And I'm going to start crying already. I got to get it together. We believe Jesus is real. He's not a myth or a fairy tale. He's real. And we believe that he's alive and that he is present in this place, in this room. He's here. And he 
he can see all of you. He can see us. He can see me. He can see where we're at. He can see our brokenness and our pain and our confusion and our joy and our excitement. The whole scope of our lives, he can see it. He's real. He's alive and he's present in this place. And man, he wants to make a connection with you. (laughs) And that's awesome. And so that's what we've been praying for because we believe that he's real. And we seek as a church, as a campus, the leaders and the people that are all involved in whatever, we seek to discover him for real. To, to experience who he is, the transformative power of his love and of his presence. And we're trying to follow Jesus. And so that's what we're about. And we believe fundamentally at the absolute core of what we're about at this church is that meaning, that purpose, that value in this life, ultimately that, that happiness, even life itself, life itself are in the person of Jesus Christ. And we love him. And I, I love Jesus. I just, that's, that's where I'm coming from. That's my perspective on this. And so we uh, have been looking at a, a teaching of the king of the universe, Jesus. We've been looking at a teaching of his uh, called the Sermon on the Mount. And actually, happy the series that we're in is just looking at the intro to that most famous sermon. And so we're going to be hanging out in Matthew uh, chapter 5 today. So if you brought a Bible, you want to blast that thing open to Matthew 5, that'd be cool. Or if you have a device, uh, you could get there as well. Uh, if, you don't, uh, if you didn't bring a Bible, you can, you can find uh, Matthew chapter 5 and those black ones under the chairs there on page uh, 785. And we also say every week that if you don't own a copy of God's Word, you can just take one of those uh, black Bibles, make it a gift from us to you. I think it is super important that you have a copy of God's Word. It's the Word of God, and we want to hook you up with it. So, you know, Sermon on the Mount is where we've been hanging out. And a lot of times, you know, it's a very, very famous uh, teaching. It's a very famous recorded speech. And so, you know, throughout uh, history, people have had different opinions on the Sermon on the Mount, different kind of interpretations or approaches. Sometimes the Sermon on the Mount is considered to be just this sort of list of ethical do's and don'ts. Like if we all just like did what the Sermon on the Mount said, then everything would be good. But it's actually much, much more than that. It's infinitely deeper and more profound. In fact, it is Jesus' pronouncement of a revolutionary countercultural vision for life in in humanity. At the fundamental level, it is Jesus' declaration of the paradoxical character of who God is and what he can do that is so much deeper than we can can, um, fully wrap our minds around just by trying to like be good people or do good stuff or whatever. And so this is... Again, the profound, beautiful teaching of the greatest teacher ever uh, as he declares the reality of who he is. And it's awesome. So picking up Matthew 5, starting in verse 1, it says this. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. And his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And he said, and here's, here's what he's about to do. He's about to lay out this thing called the Beatitudes. All right. Very, very famous. And this is what he says. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And we've been learning uh, in our series that the word blessed, that is translated blessed, it comes from this Greek word, makarios. And makarios is, is a very rich, beautiful Greek word that carries the idea of approval or of a divine favor a sense of a depth of, of well-being and fulfillment that is beyond what we can even imagine, that there is a whole realm or a whole scope of fulfillment and joy that is available that is beyond what we can imagine. And Jesus looks at a crowd of broken and hurting, hurting people, 
a group of people who are wrestling through real things in their lives, much like us in this room, as we all in our own ways are dealing with struggles and concerns and real life, real actual life. He looks at that crowd and he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so what Jesus is doing is he's identifying what it looks like to be someone who is truly blessed at the deepest level. And we've been learning that the Beatitudes, as he makes these pronouncements, they're actually kind of sequential and they're logically connected one to the next. And so they build on each other and they, and they flow and they function as one builds upon the next. And so these first three, poor in spirit, uh, mourning, and, and, and the meek, are all kind of connected with this idea of spiritual bankruptcy or, or a, a sense of, of needing to recognize my, my spiritual emptiness and my need to be filled. And so he starts out, the very first one, again, the most famous sermon ever recorded, the very first words of it are, blessed are the poor in spirit. And this is those who recognize their spiritual bankruptcy and their emptiness and their need to be filled up, right? So often, I I think uh, Christianity or whatever gets this kind of this vibe or something where it's like you got to get it together before you can get all Jesus up. And you have, to, you have to kind of like get your life in check and kind of get to a certain level or status before you can start to engage with God. But that is just fundamentally not true. That, that what it means to be a follower of Jesus is to recognize my brokenness and to recognize that I am in need of a savior and that I am in need of help. It reminds me of that old hymn, which I like a lot. It says, nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Naked. Come to thee for dress, helpless, look to thee for grace. And that's what it means to be someone who is poor in spirit. Not, I have it together, this is why you should accept me, but I am broken and I am in need of healing. Please help, Lord Jesus, please help. And so for those that start there, again, as this is a logical flow and a logical progression, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And interestingly, Jesus actually begins and ends. He kind of frames up this introduction to the most famous sermon ever by referring to the kingdom. And so the kingdom is actually Jesus' primary teaching when he walked the earth. Some people think it's whatever, some kind of moral or ethical standard or, or the golden rule or something like that. But the fundamental teaching that Jesus brings to this earth is behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. It is the kingdom, the kingdom of God. And so reflecting on this idea, this most important idea ever, uh, Puritan theologian Jonathan Edwards has this to say. I call him Johnny. And Johnny Edwards says this right here. The seeking of the kingdom of God is the chief business of the Christian life. Now, in the Bible, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven are synonymous terms. But basically what this is, and the most fundamental teaching of Jesus, is that God's current and active rule and reign is happening right now. That it isn't just what happens when you die. Heaven is not just a place you go when you die off in the cloud somewhere. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is now. The kingdom of God is available and accessible to you in the person of Jesus Christ. And if you commit your life to him and follow him, the kingdom of God is the deal. And so Johnny Edwards, he says, yes, seek first, he quotes Jesus, seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness and everything else will, will figure itself out and it'll work it out, all right? And so Johnny Edwards knows what's up. I also like uh, this other kind of more contemporary theologian, a guy by the name of Johnny Cash. And he knows a thing or two about a thing or two. He says this with reference to the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. He says, I've tried drugs. I've tried a little of everything, <laughs> a little of everything else. And there is nothing, nothing 
in the world more soul satisfying than having the kingdom of God building inside you and growing. And, and Johnny Cash will say that the dynamic unfolding reality of God's power and of God's presence is where the soul finds its satisfaction, the kingdom of God. And you are invited, those in this room, we are invited, you are invited right now into a, a participation in the redemptive purposes of the creator of the universe. He wants to invite you into this unfolding narrative of this reality of his active present reign and rule in this moment, and you're invited. And as you engage with that and as you participate in that, ultimate fulfillment and happiness and joy and, and the favor of God, everything is wrapped up in that and experiencing the kingdom. So that's pretty awesome. And that's what we're dealing with. <laughs> and that's what we're dealing with. We're not playing, we're not playing around. You know what I mean? This is, this is where it's at. And so Jesus goes on uh, in his sermon. Uh, verse six, he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they'll be filled. Blessed are the merciful They'll be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And so these four, again, as we build and as we uh, kind of establish and, and logically um, grow in, in the kind of the expansion of what's happening for those that follow Christ, he's saying that these four are all about how God fills up and equips and, and, and motivates those who recognize their brokenness. Remember, the fundamental foundation is that I'm empty, I'm in need, God, please help me. And as we do that, and as we humble ourselves and receive his, his transformative power, he equips us and he gives us things that we need. And so last week, we talked a lot about how God satisfies or, or fills up those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who have a, an appetite to see this, this righteousness. I like what Pastor Tony said about it. He said, hungering and thirsting for righteousness is the desire to be free from sin in all its forms and all its manifestations and to see things put right according to God's designs. And we define righteousness as the act of doing what is in alignment or what is in agreement with God's standards, the state of being in, in proper relationship with God. And, and it stands kind of um, opposed to the idea of lawlessness or of brokenness of recognizing that there are a lot of things that are jacked up in this world, but I want to be about aligning the beauty and the truth and the harmonization of everything good with, with God and with his desires. And so Pastor Tony talked about this idea that our whole world is basically like uh, uh, something that was created good, like a Lego thing that was created good, like a Millennium Falcon or something like that, and that it was broken and, and, and there are a million different pieces all over the place. And that this, this thing that has been created, that the designer knows how everything fits together and works together, is now broken and scattered. And the desire for righteousness, to hunger and thirst for righteousness, is to look at our broken world and to long for things to be put back together. And to hunger and thirst to see every different area of brokenness come under the authority of Jesus and to be reconciled and to be put right, to be, to be put to rights and to long for this. But what's crazy is it's not just out there, right? It's not just in the news or in the media or in Hollywood or, or the, my neighbors that don't know what's going on and everybody sucks. But it's about additionally what's going on even in my heart to be free from sin in all its forms, including the brokenness within me. And as we are poor in spirit and as we mourn for our own brokenness and as we are humble and meek and, and seeking to help others grow, we're gonna see that, man, I'm not perfect, 
and I want to see things put right. Yeah, out there for sure, definitely. There's all kinds of jacked up stuff going on, and I, I want to see God's design for marriage acknowledged and, and, and interacted with, and, and I want to see the value of human life recognized and, and held up to a very high standard and, and to say, man, no, this is important. God, God's heart is breaking for all kinds of things out in the world. And I want to see, I, I long to see justice roll down the mountain. I long for that and I, and I desire that. But I also, man, at the same time as longing for all those things that are broken to be brought back together, I also see the arrogance and the self-absorption um, and, and the vanity and the pride in my own heart and my impatience, and my anger, and I long for those things to be put right as well. And so that is what it is to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And as we do that, God moves on us, hopefully, if we uh, turn our lives over to him, to become people who are merciful, who are pure in heart, and who ultimately seek for the peace that God wants to move in and through us. He wants to, to equip us to be used to put things back together and to be agents or representatives of the reconciliation that is available in the person of Christ. And so this is all out of a desire, ultimately, like I said, of righteousness. And righteousness is such a fundamental key idea that Jesus wants to bring. He longs for it. He, he died to make it occur. And he, he sees, he has perfect clarity and vision about what this world was designed to be and, and what, it is, what it is to be a human interacting in, in beauty and in truth and in clarity. And that's what he longs for. And so righteousness is a big deal to Jesus and the kingdom. And these are fundamental things about what it means to follow Christ. And so if you're somebody that is, you know, has been following Jesus or you're trying to learn more, I would really encourage you to, to continue to press into these concepts. And so what's sweet is as Jesus closes out this, this kind of introduction and launches into the next part of his, of his teaching, he really kind of crescendos in this pronouncement about righteousness and interacting with the kingdom and he says in Matthew 5, verse 10, what we're going to be talking about in a little bit more depth today, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so whatever it looks like to be a person who is about righteousness for real, righteousness out there, yeah, but righteousness in here, whatever it really looks like to be a person who is about righteousness and whatever it looks like to experience or to operate within the paradigm of the kingdom of God will result, Jesus says, in persecution. That's just what it means. But it will be obviously a, a paradoxically blessed persecution that there will be some deep joy, some deep value, some deep meaning in what it looks like to experience persecution. And so, you know, I don't know what you think about when you hear the word persecuted. I think, you know, for many of you, maybe you never think about it at all. You're like, this is not something I think about that much. But for some of us, uh, especially those of us that grew up in kind of a church background or who have been exposed to kind of churchy stuff, we start to kind of think about the giants of the faith, right? We think about people like, maybe like uh, one of the first followers of Jesus, uh, Peter, who according to history was actually crucified upside down. And so, you know, Peter, one of my favorite characters in the Bible, uh, but he was like, man, I'm all about Jesus and I'm all about righteousness, both obviously out there and in here. You know, Peter was a broken guy, but he recognized his need for God's grace and he grew in that. But he was standing for righteousness and standing for the kingdom. And ultimately, he was viciously, violently tortured to death. He was persecuted for Jesus. And sometimes when we think of persecution, we think of Peter. Or maybe we think of, of Stephen, who was a really interesting character as well. After preaching a sweet sermon in the book of Acts, he got stoned to death. 
right? And, and as his persecutors are literally bashing in his skull, <laughs> he declares, Lord, don't hold this against them. Don't hold this against them. And man, Stephen was a righteous dude. Turn to your neighbor and say, Stephen was a righteous dude. <laughs> You're like murmur. <laughs> I feel like I go, sometimes I go real heavy and then try to make a joke and it doesn't, it doesn't land all the time. I don't know. I don't know. I'm confused. I'm still young. I'm working on it. Anyway, so Stephen was a righteous dude, you know. And some are familiar, and you know, he's like, he was persecuted. That's what we think of, right? And maybe some of you have read Tortured for Christ by this guy, Richard Wumbrand. He's a guy that um, was, he lived in, in Soviet-occupied uh, uh, Romania. He was a pastor. And for 14 years, he was tortured. He was imprisoned and tortured as a result of standing for righteousness, and so maybe you think of, you know, the voice of, when you hear persecution, you think of Voice of the Martyrs, which is uh, the kind of the publication, the organization that Wundgren founded to bring awareness about global persecution, that it's a real thing and people are dying daily around the world, even today. In fact, the Voice of the Martyrs website is persecution.com. And so I would encourage you to check that out if you're unfamiliar with or are not aware that this is actually still happening around the world to this day. People are being killed and, and persecuted in a very serious way because of Jesus around the world. And so even right now, maybe something is stirring in you. This is kind of a side note, but maybe even right now, something might be stirring in you as you hear about or think about these concepts. And I would really encourage you to check that out. Maybe go on that website or uh, get that book or something or, or kind of try to, to discover what it really looks like in this, in this context to experience persecution. I think it's very uh, empowering sometimes to know what people, the physical experiences people go through uh, for, for Jesus. And violent oppression and persecution against Christians, it happens around the world every day. It's not a joke. It should be harrowing and sobering, and it's real. But for us here in America, you know, it's 2021, and we live in America, and so it can somewhat feel like somewhat of a different story. And so when we talk about persecution here and now, I think the question is, how should we in 21st century America think about persecution? I think it's important to note that the word persecution that's translated, that's translated from the Greek, it carries with it the idea of being kind of like chased or, or pursued. A really good translation would be harassed, harassed. And so it doesn't necessarily indicate what type or what variety of pain an individual experiences. It just means harassed or, or pursued. And so I like this uh, commentary by this guy, Kent Hughes. He puts it this way. He says, yeah, persecution can... Go to physical extremes as the church's bloody history reveals. Like nobody is arguing that it gets really funky and really real. But most often, most often, it is verbal harassment, sometimes audible, sometimes whispered, sometimes direct, sometimes innuendo. In these kind of annoying series of like little whispered things in the coffee room or whatever, little things that happen, little comments that are made and little rumor mills that get established. And this isn't the main point of my teaching, but just so you know, we know where we're coming from, we also, as we believe in Jesus and, and acclaim him as the king, we also believe that there's an enemy. And, and he is sometimes called Satan or the accuser, our enemy, the devil. And the Bible teaches that he roams around seeking to devour, that he hates you, he hates your family, he hates your kids, he wants you to suffer and die. And sometimes the expression of that it's just, it happens all at once in a, in a flourish of violence. And like, like Hughes is saying, yeah, it can go to physical extremes as the bloody history records. But often this enemy of ours who hates us and seeks to devour us, especially in America, he often just kind of nibbles a little bit at a time. He wants to devour us, but it's over the course of a lifetime and these little, little just annoying 
grabs and, 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 and innuendos and whispering and all these little annoying things. And our enemy is pretty annoying and I'm not a big, huge fan. As much as we love Jesus, we're pretty opposed. We're, anti, we're anti-Satan at this church. It's a huge, just so you know, if you're like, I wonder, this church seems pretty good, but I wonder what they think about Satan. Big thumbs down for Satan. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, it's like, read the statement of faith on that. Anyway, so uh, he goes on to say, verbal abuse and social ostracism may call for as much heroism as braving the arena. And so while there are bomb, bombs and, and, and guns and like, whatever, sharp swords in the hands of young children, and that is no joke and it is sobering and harrowing, that's a real thing and we need to be aware of it. But often insult and venomous lies are frequently what we encounter as we follow Jesus and are persecuted. Which I think that's why Jesus says in verse 11, blessed are you when people insult you. He starts out by talking about insult and persecute you falsely and, and, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And Jesus knows that often it's gonna be insult, it's gonna be mockeries, it's gonna be lies and, and deception. And again, as, a, as a, um, a leader of student ministries, I, I can see that especially occurring in the lives of my students. And, and I think about, I, can, I mean, I can so vividly think about some of the students that I engage with and the stories that they share with me. And so for any of you that are in school, man, you think like, okay, I, maybe you're actually trying to follow Jesus for real. You're not trying to play games. You're like, no, this is real. He's, the, he's it and I'm in. And I'm not trying to be pushy. Maybe you're thinking, I'm not trying to be all pushy and, and, and over the top. I just, I love Jesus and he's the thing. And as a result of engaging with him and engaging with his righteousness, you're starting to stand out. And, and there's a different kind of light or a different kind of life that is just shining out of you or emanating out of, of who you are. And maybe some people, not everybody, but maybe some people, they see that at your school or whatever, and they're like, what's up with this, what's up with this kid? And maybe you're saying, you know what, I'm actually, I'm, I'm in a season in my life where I'm not trying to mess around with pornography anymore. I'm trying to keep my mind pure, and, 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 and that's really a, a challenge for me, and that's painful. And some people will be like, oh, big Christian, dude. Oh, you know, you, you would say bumming out your invisible friend. Like, what are you? Like, are you freaking dead? Is there any blood flowing through your veins? Like, you're not into porn. Come on, everybody's into porn. Or maybe you're somebody that's saying, you know, you're, you're out on a date or maybe you have a relationship with someone as a young person and you make a decision not to have sex with that person. And then they're like, are you serious? Like, you're gonna, you're not, I thought you, don't you love me? What's the deal? And like, well, yeah, I love you, but this is where I'm at. I'm trying to walk closely with Jesus and I'm trying to uphold and, and to maintain his desire for my sexuality. The amount of rumors and the amount of innuendo and insult and, and, and attack that can occur in the life of a young person as a result of trying to stay pure sexually is overwhelming in our culture. It's the truth. And right now I can think of the amount of students in Highland High School, Medina High School, Brunswick, North Royalton, man, for a kid to stand up and to say, no, I, I actually, I, I want to honor Jesus with my sexuality, you, you, would be, you would be persecuted. And that hurts. It hurts to think that that is real. And so, you know, whatever. I mean, you could go, the list could go on. Think about kids not trying to party, do drugs, and just feel like, are you a prude? Like your invisible friend is all freaked out about you smoking a little weed. Like, come on. What's the big deal? Everybody's like, come on. Or, or maybe you're in science class and you're, you're really trying to, to, to just maintain the reality that Jesus rose from the dead and people are cutting you down. Like, oh, really? You ride your unicorn into the, oh, yeah. Tell me about alchemy, big shot. Like, who is it? That, where? I don't see it. Prove it. Ooh, if God is real, then he'll make this beaker not fun. You know what I mean? Like, 
That's like not, that's like kids will go and like weep about that. You know what I mean? Like it's for real. And so there's persecution, insult, and, and that's real. Or maybe at work, you know, you're, you're like, you a group of people at work really get a kick out of insulting or making fun of the new boss or the new employee and they make fun of the way they talk or, or how they roll or whatever. And you're like, you know what, I, I love you guys. And I actually, I don't really want to engage in that. You're not like trying to be obnoxious about it, but you're just like not engaging in that. Like, come on, come on. What do you think about the new, the new, uh, you know, whatever intern or something? <laughs> like, I don't know. Maybe they're having a rough day. Like, oh, maybe they're having a rough day. All right, Jesus. Like, uh. or maybe you know, you're invited to go out, uh, you know, on a Friday night or something like, and you go out and you try and interact with your coworkers, and it turns out to just be a big get hammered and objectify, you know, objectify women party or something. And after a couple of weeks, you're like, you know what? I think I might just chill at home. Home and say, oh, come on, what's the deal? You don't want to go out with that? Like, no, I actually, I, I love my wife, and I don't want to objectify every woman I see. You know? And, oh, okay. Oh, Jesus, dude. <laughs> she, Jesus guy over here. Don't go. You know what I mean? And that's people experience that. Like that's not that's not like that occurs. And the list could go on and on. I mean, think about at home, people are trying to follow Jesus. Maybe you're in a situation where you follow Jesus, but the other people that live in your house don't. And, you know, you're watching some movie or something, and it's getting whatever, and you're like, you know, I think I might take a walk. Oh, is this too, <laughs> holy roller, blah, blah, blah. and this tension, and, this, and you got to walk on eggshells, and it goes on and on. Maybe even your extended family. Maybe you used to get real crazy with the cousins behind the barn or something, and it's like, and you're like, hey, come on, family reunion, let's go, 2021, it's been a rough couple of years, like, let's go behind the barn, and you're like, I think I'll chill, you know. Oh, you didn't want to get, oh, did Jesus know you in your 20s? because I don't think you would ever, you know what I mean? And, and that's a thing. And, and trying to follow Jesus, man, it leads to this insult. It's not, you're not trying to be obnoxious. You're just trying to follow Christ. And so that's a thing that people experience and on and on and on, friends and neighbors. And so there are a million bajillion different ways that followers of Christ, not trying to be obnoxious, but just trying to follow, faithfully follow Jesus can be misunderstood, can be insulted, can be harassed in 21st in, in, in our in our cultural moment can stand out and be misunderstood. And it's rough and it's real, but Jesus would say you're blessed. And I think Jesus actually drives this home point by, or drives this point home by repeating himself. And so all the Beatitudes start uh, with the word those. It's the third person. Blessed are those, those, those. But in verse 11, he really drives this persecution point home by making it more personal. And he says, blessed are you. When people insult you, persecute you, and say all kinds of evil against you. And I think Jesus is trying to explore the incredible personal challenges, but also the extreme joy of following Christ, right? And, and this is the reality. What happens is when somebody puts their faith in Christ, they are opened up to a totally new spectrum of experience, both of joy and excitement and, and purpose and value, but also they're opening themselves up for a whole new range of attack and, and accusation and pain and, and, and complexity of experience. And so it's, there's both of these elements. There's this depth of experience, but ultimately persecution for righteousness, it reveals the happiness of intimacy, of intimacy with Christ. And that's why he says, you, 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 because of me, because of me. I think what he's saying is that we are in this together. The Bible teaches we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but somebody who, can, who knows, who's been there, who's, who's, who's gone to that place. And so whatever moment of persecution or pain or suffering you're in, Jesus can look at you right in the eyes and he can say, I know what you're going through. 
I've been there. I know what it feels like to experience that pain, to experience that persecution, and I'm there with you. And I think that's really important. And we roll in persecution together. And in John uh, 15, I think Jesus makes this abundantly clear. He says, if the world hates you, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you don't belong to the world. But I've chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. And so in this context, the world, it just refers to the realm of spiritual darkness that is opposed to Jesus. Jesus was perfect, perfect. And people hated him. People hated him. And they hated him to the point of crucifying him. Why? Because he, he revealed the brokenness of the world and, and it just it freaked people out. And so people who choose to remain blind to the reality of the kingdom of God, they hate, they hate Jesus and they hate people that reflect and represent Jesus. And that's why he says in verse 20, remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. And so if you are legitimately being persecuted for righteousness, for righteousness, and you are in really good company, you're in really good company. Jesus is like, yep, I understand that. I understand both the pain and ultimately and eternally the blessing. And I understand that this is the way the kingdom functions, right? Which is why he can say and why he does say, blessed Makarios are those who are persecuted. And I am here today to tell you that we can trust Jesus. Jesus is a trustworthy guy. And we can trust him because of what he has endured. He can sympathize with us. He can identify with the pain that we're in. But we can also trust him because of what he has accomplished he has accomplished everything. It is finished. Christ is victorious. He rose from the grave. And God has vindicated the claims that Jesus makes. On Easter morning, he, he validated that. And he said, that's right. What that guy said is the thing. He's God. He's alive. He's risen. And we can trust him because of what he's endured and what he's accomplished. And so we can take comfort in that. And it's awesome. But I think it's really important to note as well in verse 10, Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. And then in verse 11, he connects that idea of righteousness with himself, with the person of Jesus. And I think this is a little bit of a push or a little bit of a challenge for maybe some of us in this room that follow Christ. I know for me, and I'm just going to be honest and blunt with you, sometimes when I think of righteousness, I, I somehow sort of reduce that down to an issue or a topic that I am personally most passionate about. So some social or cultural issue. And so sometimes I, and maybe sometimes you can identify with this, instead of thinking about Jesus and looking at the whole scope and the whole, uh, and the whole realm of what is happening in the world, we can kind of isolate our concept or our interaction with Jesus down to some particular concept. So sometimes maybe we, hear, we read this, but what we actually hear is, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of an ethical stance, right? And that everything, my entire concept of Jesus is in this bubble right here. And if you don't dig that, and if you don't like my thing about that on Facebook, then you don't really know what's going on. And we push and we push and, and we make everything about this one little issue or this one little topic. And the question might be, does Jesus have an ethical stance? Yes, he does. And should followers of Christ have an ethical stance? Oh yeah. But if we reduce Jesus to only that, and then get really aggressive and, and overly pushy and overly assertive about that one thing rather than looking at the whole scope of who Jesus is and what he's done as we are poor in spirit. 
We need to be really careful. I think we might be missing the point. I know I have missed the point personally as I've done this, so we need to be cautious. Or sometimes we might hear who persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of a social cause, right? And if this, if this social cause takes, takes the highest stance in your, in, when, in, when you wake up in, your, in the morning, if you're praying to a social cause rather than to, than to Jesus, I would, just, I would just say, man, you gotta be careful. We need to view all of these things from the perspective of, of Christ. We need to be careful. Maybe some of us read because of a political agenda. And yeah, obviously, it's important to be informed and to think critically about where we're at politically and the different things to vote on or whatever. But here's what I want to tell you, and, and this is, my heart is longing to tell you this, is that people who follow Christ, we ultimately worship and serve an eternal heavenly king. We don't worship and serve a temporary earthly ruler. We serve a king who's eternal. And he says, because of me, not because of a political agenda, not because of a social cause or an ethical stance, because of me, uh, a, living, a living person. And so when we think about equality and justice and marriage and sexuality and gender and value of life and morality, all of those things, man, Jesus has a take. He has the perfect take on all those things. And the Bible teaches about those things and we should think about them but we need to interact with them as, as a community of people that are following Jesus. We need to think about all of these topics from the perspective of people who are poor in spirit and who mourn over their own brokenness and who are, are meek and who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Yes, out there. Yes, uh, in Congress and on Wall Street and in Hollywood. But man, I also want to see my own brokenness um, dealt with and so I have to be merciful and, and be pure in heart and make peace. Sometimes we get it wrong. I get it wrong. And, um, you know, it's, it's terrifying. Sometimes I have my students point at me and say, Dan, you're a wretched, jacked up sinner. I think this would be an appropriate time to do that. Why don't you guys all point your finger at me and say, Dan, you're a wretched, jacked up sinner. <laughs> Seems kind of weird. I think you need to be a little bit more aggressive. Let's try it one more time. Everybody, like you're like... Or just Dan, you're jacked up. Point at me and say, Dan, you're all jacked up. Dan, you're all jacked up. I know. So this thing, this quote that I'm about to tell you, it applies to me. And if you feel like it's applying to you, just let it roll, all right? Let it rip. This is, this is something that I think is pretty uh, insightful. This quote, another quote by this, this same commentator, Kent Hughes. He says, sadly... Christians are very often persecuted, not for their Christianity, but for lack of it. Sometimes they're rejected simply because they have unpleasing personalities. They're rude. Insensitive, thoughtless, or Dan Miller, piously obnoxious. Some are rejected because they are discerned as proud and judgmental. Others are disliked because they're lazy and irresponsible. Incompetence mixed with piety is sure to bring rejection. And man, I read that to my wife the other day and she was like, there's a bumper sticker for you. I was like, dang, dog. I was like, I don't want to preach this. I just want to go curl up in a corner and drink a smoothie or something. Anyway, so a lot of this applies to me, you know? And so I'm trying to wrestle through how loud to be at the coffee shop when I'm talking about that topic. And I'm trying to wrestle through how much, you know, do I really need to point out that a sin is a sin to this person who's trying to really figure something out. You know what I mean? Yeah, Jesus is aware that a sin is a sin. And Jesus knows all the definitions of every word. And uh, 
I just think we, as a group of people, I need to be really careful about when I'm trying to slam somebody down or when I'm trying to like slap something out for everybody to see because, man, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Yeah, out there, but yeah, in here. And so Jesus wants us to be radical, for real, all the way, all the way up and down. I like the radical stuff, and I like that. I'm not holding back. It's Jesus, that's it. Boom, boom, boom. I like that. But I'll tell you what else. Jesus wants us to be radically polite as well. And so I like 1 Peter 3, where he says this, even if you should suffer for what is right, and that's uh, you know, the, the, the same word that Jesus uses for, for righteousness, you are blessed, you are makarios. Even if you should suffer for, for what's right, you're blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that, that you have. But dig it. Do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who, yes, will speak maliciously and make fun of you and insult you against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed for their slander. Not, not because you're always dropping the best YouTube uh, arguments about why that issue is wrong, or not because you always know how to point out someone's error in logic. That is not what is the deal. It's your good behavior. Obviously, we don't want to throw out our minds and just let, it, let everything be whatever, but we just need to have the right posture, all right? And so followers of Jesus are called to be honest, to be direct, but to be nice, be nice, be nice. And so Jesus concludes like this, pretty high note. He says, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. You get to be a part of this incredible thing that is happening. He says, for in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so what the Bible teaches and what we believe at this church is that there is an ultimate and eternal sweetness in the new heavens and the new earth where every tear is wiped away, where there is no more crying or suffering or pain, that everything is healed and in a perfect, harmonious, beautiful and eternal relationship with, with God. God and man are fully reconciled and it's awesome forever, eaten, regained. But I think what Jesus might be trying to do Right in this moment, we believe that, and, and new heavens and new earth is the thing. But I think what Jesus might be trying to do in this context in particular is to kind of refer back to this idea of the kingdom of heaven, that we don't have to wait to die to be, to be hanging out in the kingdom of heaven or seeing his dynamic, unfolding, transformative power just flowing all around us. We don't have to wait. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is here now. It's here because of who Jesus is and what he's done. It's now, right now, today, here. And in his most, you know, one of his most famous prayers later in the Sermon on the Mount, he prays, but your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. A reconciliation, uh, an integration of the reality of God's transformative power in our current experience. That's what we're invited into. And so Jesus says, the kingdom of God is at hand. Dig it. Turn from old ways and follow the king. Follow the king. The kingdom is at hand. Follow the king. So I really encourage you to dig that because it's the deal. It's awesome. So here's what I want to leave you guys with. This is the main point of this sermon, and it is this. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I just... I. <laughs> 
I just want to be as, as direct and clear as I came with you. These words, these words are eternal truth proclaimed by the king of the universe, the creator of the universe. This is not a deception. This is not a lie. This is not some kind of brainwash manipulation. This is truth. And I just encourage you to dig that, all right? And so I could, would say that all day long, but I guess we got to get, get done or whatever. But um, I'm going to invite the band to come up uh, and, and get ready to rock us out. But uh, as, as they get tuned up or whatever, I just want to leave you with some encouragement. So for those of you who are investigating Jesus and you're thinking about what um, it might look like to follow him or you're not sure, I just have a couple of encouraging uh, points I'd like to make for you. Very simple, but I think could potentially be really helpful for you. I would encourage you, if you're investigating Jesus, to just keep hanging out, all right? If you're like, I don't know this church thing, whatever, I got a bunch of questions or whatever, that's cool. We're not trying to cram some kind of religious pill down your throat. We're not trying to manipulate you or bash you into like whatever. We're just trying to show you that, man, Jesus has changed our lives. So I'd encourage you to keep hanging out and make some friends. You can make friends with everybody on stage. We're all friendly people, mostly pretty much. Pastor Seth wants to be your friend. Jordan does. I want to. Jordan wants to be your friend. I feel like it's, it just got weird. I don't know. It was going so good. I don't know. Anyway, make friends. We're trying to be friendly people, not mean, annoying people. We're trying to be nice. So we're doing our best. Make a friend. Read the Bible. If you don't have one, take one of ours. The word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul, spirit, joints, marrow, judging the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. There is life in the Bible. You can dig it, take one, read it. Even if you're like, I don't believe it, that's all right. Take it and read it and, be, and talk to somebody about it. And like, we're here. We're not trying to freaking be weird. Like, just read the Bible and talk about it. And dig it, make friends, keep hanging out. Make friends, read the Bible, and ask questions, all right? Hang out, investigate. We're here, we love you. This is for real. My, dude, there's 100 people that, right now who would be like, yeah, Jesus totally is awesome. Like, he changed my life. Like, we're not trying to play around. So anyways, dig it. And I really encourage you to do this. Follow Jesus. Maybe you've investigated enough, you've read the Bible enough. He's the king. And there is so much joy, infinite joy in the person of Jesus Christ. He loves you. He loves you. And he died to save you. And he has so much for you. Don't hold back. Just give, hand it over to him. He loves you. There's blessing in the person of Christ. It's the truth. And so, you know, if you're trying to figure it out, do that. If you are somebody that follows Christ, dig this. I'm going to read this and then we'll pray. All right. If you're, have you have experienced persecution or are experiencing persecution, this is the deal. The word of God. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice. And as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted, because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. And if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. 
the word of the living God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I love you. And I thank you for who you are and what you've done in my life and in the countless lives uh, of the people throughout the ages, Father. You are a good king. You, are a, you are, have been a faithful servant and you reign supreme. You're real. You're not far away. You're right here, right now. You're in this room. You love everybody in this room. You know everybody in this room by name. You have a desire to meet them where they're at, to comfort them, to reveal the ways in which they can experience your joy, even sometimes as a consequence of persecution. That that, that is a real thing, but man, there's power there. And so I'm begging you by your spirit to overwhelm this room with an awareness of your love and your transformative power. Don't let us leave this place unaffected by the truth of your word. Don't let us leave this place uh, you know, not being challenged by the fact that, man, you're real and you're alive and you're legit. Help us to see that, Father. I pray for the person in this room that might be wrestling with whether or not you're the thing or not. God, help them to to just take a step toward investigating you, having a conversation, asking the question maybe they've been afraid to ask God, maybe get connected with the life group, get connected with some people, whatever. Just help them to feel encouraged that we're not, that you are not just trying to create some kind of robots. You're trying to set people free. You're trying to set people free, freedom. Help them to see that, God. Help us to see that. And for those that do follow you, I just ask you again that you reveal to us the ways in which you want to encourage us Help us to stand firm and stand true in light of who you are and what you've done. We, we long to be people who are poor in spirit and who are blessed because of who you are and what you've done. Help us to see what that means as we walk away from this place. You're the king of glory and of grace. Praise God. Amen.